Father in heaven, Lord, as we're gathered here together this morning on this beautiful Sabbath day, it is our humble prayer that as we contemplate for the next few moments the pages of Scripture, words from above, that you would truly speak to each and every one of our hearts. I pray, Lord, that as your word is spoken, that it may not be my words that are spoken, may it be yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Today, if you have a question you don't know the answer to, what do you do? I heard it. You Google it, right? You don't know the answer, you go to www.google.com, type in your question, it can be any random question, and invariably, Google will spit you the answer out within about two seconds. About two years ago, I was with a friend of mine, and he was with his little boy who was only about five years old, and they were, they were reading something, and the, and the dad said, oh, I don't quite know what that is. Little four-year-old boy says to his daddy, oh, daddy, let's Google it. <laughs> That's what we do today. If we don't know the answer to a problem, we just simply Google it, and we're accustomed, we're used to getting our answers, how, how quick? Instantly, straight away. We don't like waiting. We are not the generation today that has to go to the, the shelf and go to Encyclopedia Britannica and find the right volume and turn to something and look for a definition. We just go to Google. We are what some people call the now generation. We don't like waiting for anything. We like things straight away. We like things quick. We like things right now. This morning I was contemplating this and I typed into Google, as you do, now generation. It brought a song up. The lyrics say this, we are the now generation, we are the generation now. This is the now generation, this is the generation now. I want money, I want it, I want it, want it, fast internet, stay connected in a jet Wi-Fi podcast, blasting out an SMS, text me, I text you back, check me on iChat, it's all about HTTP, you're a PC, I'm a Mac, I want it. This is the now generation, the generation now. It sums up us today. We like things now, we don't like having to wait for answers. We like things right away, and that's how we operate in society. And this morning, as we take a look, we're going to look in the book of Habakkuk and see what God has to say as it relates, I believe, to our society today and the way that we operate today. Habakkuk, if you're there in your Bibles, Habakkuk chapter 1, we're pretty much going to stay in this passage of Scripture this morning. We're going to read down through it, and there's a particular few verses that we're going to focus on in a few moments. The book of Habakkuk was written prior to the book of Daniel. Daniel was written during the time of the Babylonian captivity uh, of God's people. And the book of Habakkuk was written, uh, I'm not sure exactly when, but it was about 50 or 60 years prior to the Israelites going to Jerusalem. At this time in Israel's history, Israel was not a very good place to live. It was not a nation that was following God's law. It was not a nation that was doing the right thing, so to speak. And we pick up Habakkuk in chapter 1, verse 2, where Habakkuk says... Read with me down. It says, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry to your violence, and thou wilt not save. Here Habakkuk is crying to God, a prayer that 
I'm guessing maybe some of us have prayed throughout our life saying, Lord, how long am I going to cry? How long am I going to pray? And you don't hear me. Can anyone relate? Praying to God and it seems like the answer is not coming at all. And he's praying to God and notice what he says in verse 3. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. He's describing the situation in Israel. Verse 4, he continues, Therefore the law is slacked, judgment never goes forth, and the wicked compasses about the righteous, and wrong judgment proceedeth. He's describing Israel and what was taking place at the time. The law is slack. The law wasn't being followed. The law wasn't being obeyed. Judgment was not being executed. The wicked were prospering while the righteous were suffering. And the Bible says, and wrong judgment proceeds. He was describing Israel as it was at the time. And he was saying to God, Lord, how long are you going to watch this and do nothing? Some of you may be able to relate that to today. As you look out upon the world today and you see that the way the world is and you see the way society operates in the big picture, it seems like the wicked prosper while the righteous don't. In society as a whole, you may even come closer and you may look at the Christian world and say, it seems that in the Christian world, it seems that those that don't really adhere to the law of God and follow it seem to prosper while those that try don't seem to. You may even come closer and look at your church, maybe your local congregation, and sometimes you wonder to God, how long is something going to keep on going on, and it seems like you are doing nothing about it whatsoever. How long are you going to have to pray for that certain thing, and God seems like he's not answering his prayer, there's silence from the courts of heaven. So Habakkuk is here in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, and he's speaking to God. Now, if Habakkuk was in the New Testament, verse 5 would be in red. Red letter. Because in verse 5, the conversation switches. Verses 1 to 4, Habakkuk is speaking to God. Lord, how long are you going to let this take place? Verse 5, the, the, um, the, 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 um, the person speaking switches, and now it's God who is the one speaking. And so verse 5, if we're in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, would be written in red. It would be a red letter. It's the words of God speaking. And notice what God has to say. We're just following the conversation. We're following Habakkuk's train of thought. And in verse 5, the Bible says, Behold you among the heathen and regard. And wonder marvelously, and God says, I will work a work in your days which you won't believe, though it be what? says, hey, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, but guess what? You're not going to believe me. You're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you. Habakkuk had a question for God, and God's almost forewarning him. Yeah, I'm going to answer your question, but I just want to let you know before I answer you that you may not understand or believe what I'm about to tell you. Okay, let's read on. What is God's answer? He's preempted Habakkuk. He's preempted us. Though you, you, which you will not believe, though it will be told you. Verse 6, now we have the solution to the problem. God says, okay, your problem was Israel is in sin and no one's obeying the law. And how long is this going to take place? God says, okay, I'm going to give you an answer. You're not going to believe it. And now I'm going to give you the exact answer, verse 6. And the Bible says, for lo, I raise up the who? 
The Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation which shall march through the breadth of the land and possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. Friends, who are the Chaldeans? We know them as the? The Babylonians. God says, listen, this is my answer to the problem, the solution. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and they're going to come through the land. They're going to march through, and they're going to possess everything that is not theirs. I'm sure this kind of took Habakkuk back for a little bit. He starts to scratch his head. The Chaldeans. I've heard stories about this heathen pagan nation that does not obey God. I've heard stories about how they sacrifice this and sacrifice that. And God just said, I'm going to, I... God Almighty, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians to come to Israel, to come to Jerusalem, to come to the temple where the Shekinah glory rests and possess it when it doesn't belong to them. Read on. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceeds from who? Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen shall spread themselves and the horsemen come from afar and they fly as a eagle that hasteth to eat. Verse 9, they shall all come for violence. Their faces will sup as the east wind and they shall gather as a captivity as the sand. And they will scoff at the princes and the princes shall be a scorn to them. They shall deride every stronghold for they shall heap dust and take it. Then shall his mind change, and he will pass over and offend, imputing this his power unto who? His God. God says, I'm going to raise it to the Babylonians. They're going to come through and possess the land that's like this. They're going to march through. They're going to rape. They're going to plunder. They're going to kill. They're going to destroy. And at the end of it, verse 11, at the end of it, they're going to say that all of this is because their God is more powerful than your God. They're going to impute all of this power unto their God. They're going to say, the God Marduk is greater than the God of Israel. The God of Israel caused Jericho to fall, but we just caused Jerusalem to fall. Which one's better? Can you understand what was going through Habakkuk's mind at the time? The Babylonians had never really appeared on the world scene before. And he's pleading to God, Lord, intervene in Israel. Do something. You know, every other time that a prophet had, inter, had interceded on behalf of Israel and pleaded for God to do something, he would often, in, in past, raise up a judge who was righteous, would execute judgment in Israel, or he would raise up a prophet and cause Israel to come back on track. And that's what Habakkuk was accustomed to. And yet this time, when Habakkuk cries to God and says, Lord, what are you going to do? He says, oh, forget the judges, forget the prophets. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, and they're going to come through and possess the land that is not theirs. And he can't quite make sense of this. Now we come to verse 12. And verse 12, the conversation switches verse 5 to 11 is God speaking. And verse 12 onwards is now Habakkuk speaking again. And he asks God another question. He's talking back to God, and notice what he says. He says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? He's appealing to the goodness of God. He says, you're from everlasting, God. You understand all things. You understand the history. You know the end from the beginning. We shall not die. And notice the next sentence. You know, sometimes you can ask a question that is a clear question. 
Sometimes you can ask a question that is not a clear question, but it's like a question in the intonation of your voice. You understand? Where it's a statement that because the way your voice intonation goes, it becomes a question. Notice how Habakkuk, what he says. O Lord, verse 12, thou hast ordained them for judgment. And almighty God, thou hast established them for what? Can you hear the question in his voice? He's like, Lord, you're everlasting and you've ordained them for judgment? You're gonna use them for correction? You can almost hear the incredulity in his voice. The Lord, why are you doing this? It makes no sense, God. How can you use the Babylonians to judge Israel when we're your people, God? It makes no sense. Verse 13, and now after he's almost raised his question, you, you, you hear him again in verse 13, thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil. He's saying, God, listen, <laughs> you're a pure God. How can you look at evil? You're a pure God. And you cannot look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously? And hold your tongue when the wicked devours the man that is what? More righteous than he. It's like God, you're a pure God. How can you establish them for correction? How can you use them for judgment? And how can you hold your tongue when the wicked devours the man that is more righteous than he? You see, it doesn't make sense that the wicked punish the righteous, really. Most times in the Bible, it's the righteous that punish the wicked. David and who? Goliath. David is righteous, represents God. Goliath, Philistine. Joshua and Caleb and the armies of Israel going into the promised land, cleaning the promised land of the heathen tribes that are there. The righteous punishing the wicked. The Israelites leaving Egypt, they didn't punish them directly, but the Egyptians dying in the Red Sea. Righteous and wicked, it seems to go that way. Today, in society, it's supposed to be the case that parents punish their children or discipline their children when the child does something that the parent doesn't agree with doing and does not do. Supposed to. There's too many parents today that say, do as I say, but don't do as I do, and wonder why their words have no impact. But that's the way it's supposed to be. You discipline... When someone does something that you don't agree with doing, neither do you do. The police are supposed to execute law and order in society because they uphold the law. That's the way it's supposed to be. Not always, though. And here Habakkuk is questioning the way God is reversing this almost seemingly natural order of things. It's supposed to be the other way around, God. It's supposed to be reversed. And he's asked God a question. And it's a pretty good question. 
And now, he waits. You know, David had a similar question. Turn to Psalm 73. David had a similar question. Psalm 73, you may have read this before. Psalm chapter 73, you have a question there by David as he's, as he's talking to God. Similar thing. Psalm 73 and verse 1 to 3, the Bible says, Truly God is good to Israel, even to those of a, of a clean heart. But as for me, my steps had almost gone. My feet had almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. And he says in verse 3, For I was envious of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of who? Saw the prosperity of the wicked. Said I was envious when I saw how, wick, how the wicked prospered. And read on down, read on down. You come down there, it says there in verse, it says there in verse 13, 12. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in what? David's like, Lord, I'm envious of the wicked when I see the pros their prosperity. And he says in verse 13, it seems like I have cleansed my heart in vain. I like verse 17, though. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Back to Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk 1 verses 1 to 4, Habakkuk's question to God. God, Israel is in sin, what are you doing about it? Please do something. Habakkuk chapter 1 verses 5 to 11, God says, okay, I'm going to do something, but you're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you. And he proceeds to tell him he's going to bring the Babylonians into Israel who are going to march through, kill, plunder, destroy, take hold of Jerusalem, and that's what's going to happen. And Habakkuk says back to God, Lord, you're a pure God. How can you do this? It makes no sense. You're a righteous God. come down to chapter 2. We come down to chapter 2. Habakkuk is still speaking in chapter 2, verse 1. The theme for this SWYC is what? Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower. And notice what he says then. And will, what's the next word? Watch. To do what? See what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Stop right there. He asks God a question. God gives him an answer. He asks God another question. And chapter 2 opens with him saying, I'm going to sit upon my watch. I'm going to sit upon my tower. And I am going to watch to see what God will say to me. And what I shall answer when I am reproved. I wonder what was his exact mindset at the time. I wonder what his exact attitude was at the time. Maybe he was sometimes like you and I sometimes are with God. Well, we ask God a question. And we confidently wait for our answer, thinking we have stumped God Almighty himself. <laughs> God, how can you do that? I'm a pretty smart person. That makes no sense to me. Explain yourself, God. And we sit and watch for an answer. We sit and wait for an answer from God Almighty. 
as if we somehow have thrown a spanner in the works of the mind of God. The Bible says in verse 2, and the Lord did what? Answered me. And he said, write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may do what? That he may run that reads it. Before God gives the answer, he instructs him and says, write the vision down and make it plain. Because the answer I'm about to give you is going to be applicable to upcoming generations who are going to want to know a similar answer to a similar question. So write it down, Habakkuk. This is an important instruction before I give your answer because God's people are going to go through a similar experience time and time and time and time again. And I need you to write down what I'm about to tell you so that what I write now can encourage God's people in the future, particularly at the end of time. So write it down. Does it make plain upon tables that he may run that reads it? You know, I believe that language comes from the, you know, when, when they had the cities of refuge in Israel. And if you killed someone by mistake, what we call today would be manslaughter. You could go to a city of refuge and be safe. And on the way to the city of refuge, if you're running and the person behind you is like the, the brother of the, the, the person you killed and he's trying to catch you. And you came to a crossroads, you didn't have time to sit and wait to see what the directions were. No GPS or sat nav back then. There was a sign on the road and it would say city of refuge this way. And it had to be so plain and so clear that if a man was running and his life depended upon it, he could get to the destination safely. So he says, write the vision down. Make it plain upon the tables that whoever is running may read it. Verse 3, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and not lie. Though it, what's the next word say? Tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not, what's the next word? Tarry. Friends, as you look at verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, it appears to me that watching and tarrying go hand in hand. He's watching to see what answer God will give him, and the answer he has given is, it's going to tarry. But wait for it. It will surely it will surely come. It's not like our society to wait, as I said at the very beginning. We are the now generation. We want things right now. You got a question you don't know the answer to? You want the answer right then and there. If your teacher can't give you the answer, Google will give you the answer. We like things right away. We don't like having to wait for things. We have an an question, answer. We need something, we want it now. If you want to eat, you just go to the, uh, you know, the drive-thru and your food is ready made in a bun. There you are, done. No buying ingredients, no cooking, it's there. But the answer he has given is, though it tarry, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. You know there's different types of waiting that you can do. Different types. You can wait in anticipation of a good answer. You're confident in anticipation something good's going to come. You can wait in resignation. You can wait in rebellion. You're waiting because you have to wait. You have no other choice. 
But as you're waiting, you're in rebellion as you are waiting. It's the same thing in our prayer life. The theme is watch and pray. We can pray different ways. We can pray almost in rebellion to God. Telling God what you are going to do or what you are not going to do, regardless of what God says. We can pray in surrender to the Spirit, though. Where our prayer is not based upon our understanding of God, so to speak. But it's based on our conviction of our own weakness and inadequacy. Knowing that an answer is going to come sooner or later. And here he is waiting for an answer. We come to verse 4. What type of answer does Habakkuk get? Does he get an explanation? Does he get a justification from God? Does he get an exposition as to the future events that will come up? Does he get an interpretation? Is God going to clarify what he has previously said? I said, oh, I know you didn't understand it, Habakkuk. Let me go backtrack, take two steps back and three steps forward so you can understand what I'm talking about. What does God say to Habakkuk? He's just told him to wait. And now verse 4, it says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by his faith. Stop right there and think for a moment. God, Israel's in sin. Do something. Okay, I'm going to bring the Babylonians. God, you can't do that. Doesn't make sense. The just live by faith. just live by faith. Maybe you see it. I don't really see it though. I don't see God giving an explanation of why he's doing what he's doing. Maybe you can see I can't. I can't see God giving a clarification as to his answer about the Babylonians. I can't see God expounding upon the point as to why he would use a wicked nation to punish a righteous nation. I don't see God... <laughs> Going into a deep exposition as to why he's doing what he's doing. Maybe you can see it in verse 4, but I can't. The simple answer from God from heaven is, the just shall live by his faith. Amen. The just shall live by his faith. As we look at this, you know, the word faith. You ask the question, what does faith mean? And the answer most people spout out is Hebrews 11 verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the... Well, they go to Matthew chapter 5, 8, where the centurion says, Speak the word only and my servant will be healed. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Here, though, I believe we have another definition contextually of what it means for God's saints to have faith. The question, how can you do this? The answer, I'm going to use the Babylonians. The question, how can you use the Babylonians? The answer, the just shall live by faith. 
Somewhere in the context of the two chapters, you find a definition, an explanation of what faith is, and it is kind of simply this. And it's a lesson that is good for us to learn today, being the now generation where we want everything now. When God says to Habakkuk, you gotta wait for the answer, but it's gonna come, the just shall live by faith. He's not explaining why he is doing what he is doing. He's not giving an explanation as to all these events, but he's telling Habakkuk, listen, God's people, you are gonna go through some times that you cannot understand. You're gonna go through some hardships that you don't know why you're going through them. You're gonna go through an experience that seems to make no sense to you and your, your finite mind. But when you're going through that experience, when you're in that circumstance, I want you to remember that the just live by faith. There's an element of faith that we see in Habakkuk chapter one and two, which is an element of persevering. It's an element of hanging onto God no matter what when you don't have an answer to the question you have raised to God. Amen. All too often we want answers and if God doesn't answer our question, we lose faith. Part of faith is holding on when you don't have the answers to your questions. The just shall live by his faith. Like Abraham when he was marching up the, the mountain for three days to go and sacrifice his son, his only son, his son that he loved, and yet he was told, you're going to be a father of many nations. It made no sense to him. It makes no logical sense. It makes no rational sense. It makes no reasonable sense. And yet Habakkuk hung on, clung to the promise that God had given to him. He lived by faith, though no answer was there. And it was right at the end when the ram was caught in the thicket. Like Jesus in Gethsemane. Hanging on. Maybe like Moses when he wasn't allowed into the promised land. And yet he stood on a mountain. He could see the whole place. And yet he was told he could not enter. 40 years of ministry, 40 years living in a desert, and he gets to the borders and cannot go in. Like Sarah, waiting for the child. Like Noah, waiting for rain. The just shall live by God doesn't always explain to us, step by step, our life and why we go through what we go through. But you'll find as you go through life, the hindsight is always 20-20. Hindsight's always 20-20 as you look back. And now I know why God said that. <laughs> now I know why he told me to go to this school and not this school. Amen. Didn't make sense at the time. I couldn't understand why God said, go to this school in a state I didn't want to go and live in, in a place I didn't want to go where I had no friends. It seemed to make no sense, but I went anyway. The just shall live by faith. Watching is linked to waiting, which is linked to faith. God doesn't always explain why you may get that job or not that one. But I thought I wanted that job. Best job. Best opportunities. And you look back and you realize the company folded six months later. I thank you, Lord. You may not understand why God says don't marry person X. 
But maybe years later, as you look back and you see the course their life took and the course your life took, you realize it wasn't supposed to be. Didn't know at the time. Seemed to make no logical sense at all. But now it does. One thing we have to understand, friends, is God does not have to explain himself. He's God. It's nice when God explains to you why he's doing something. Isn't it? It's nice when it's rational, when it's logical, when it's reasonable, and when it's clear. But it's when something is not so clear and it's not so rational but you still know that God wants you to do that, that it's tougher. And that's where faith kicks in. Doesn't take faith to follow something that is reasonable. Doesn't take much faith to follow something that is logical. Faith kicks in where it seems like God has clouded over the answers. The just shall live by faith. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. You know, this text of Joshua live by faith comes up three other times, in, two, two other times in Scripture. It comes up in Romans chapter 1, and it comes up in Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 35, the Bible says, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which has great recompense of reward, for you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. And the Bible says in verse 38, now the just shall live by what? Faith. And he goes on and says, but if any man does what? Draw back, my soul shall have what? No pleasure in him. You, cannot, you can see it there. The just live by faith, and don't draw back. Hold on to God. Cling on to God no matter what. Verse 39, we are not of them that draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the what? Saving of the soul. He just says to just live by faith. He just says don't draw back. Now how does he explain this? Hebrews chapter 11 now explains that whole concept in example after example after example after example of how we live by faith. How we wait on God. How we watch. Not always knowing the answers. Beloved, we as God's people... I believe we'll go through a similar experience to what Israel and the old went, to, went through in the future. Spiritual Israel will once again be persecuted by spiritual Babylon. We will not understand the whys and the wherefores. We will not understand why so long We're told there'll be a time of trouble such as what? Never was. Been to Auschwitz. Walked in the gas chambers. I stood in front of the ovens that turned a human from bone and flesh into smoke and ash. And you wonder how that text will be real. You wonder how that text is actually going to be fulfilled. God's people, us, 
wants to prepare us for what's coming up. In that he's not always going to explain to us prior to his second coming everything that takes place. But he wants us to watch, to wait, to hang on. Romans 15 verse 4 in closing tells us, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our what? Learning. That we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have what? Everything written before the Bible says is written for our learning to give us patience, comfort, and hope for the future. So as we look back at the past and how God led his people in the past, it gives us encouragement for the future, knowing that God will lead us continued. Friends, as we look at the past, we see how God led his people in the past, in the literal story of Jerusalem and Babylon. They didn't always understand why what was going on was going on, but we see in the story of Jerusalem and Babylon, we see a man called Daniel. We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We see God being with his people in the past. As they went through the fiery furnace, we see God protecting his people in the past. They didn't know why they were going through the fiery furnace, but they had faith to cling onto God, knowing he would be with them no matter what. At the end of Daniel's life, as a man of 85, 86, 87 years old, we see Daniel go into the lion's den. One of the greatest tests of his life at the very end of his life. And he still holds on to God because he's built up through the course of his life a habit of trusting God no matter what. A habit of clinging on to God no matter what God put him through. I pray that we as God's people today, SWYC, that we are people that watch and pray. That we are a people that watch, wait, and hang on to God. No matter what, no matter what. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we pause for a moment to thank you for your faithfulness in the past. How you led, have led your people throughout the course of human history. Lord, I pray as we're gathered together this morning, as each one of us contemplates our life and the plan, the course you have for us. We hear your voice calling us this way or that way, and always we don't understand, but Lord, I pray that superseding that we may have a faith that watches, that waits on you no matter what. Bless us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.